Welcome to New Money. I'm Brian Hurst. This evening we're focusing on estate planning, but with emphasis on wills. While most people understand that they need to have a will, it never ceases to amaze me how many have never even considered a will necessary. Last year, the Masters of the Courts realised figures which show that over 70% of the population that died in the previous five years did not have a will. The cornerstone of an estate plan is ensuring that you have a legal and binding updated will in place to secure your family's future. As part of your financial plan, the will allows you to specify exactly how you wish to distribute your assets to your selected beneficiaries following your death. And joining this evening is a special guest, Connor, my grandson. Connor, good evening to you. Good evening, Brian. And Connor, what are you learning at school? How reporting the wars. Good evening, bye, Brian. Okay, Connor's going to leave us. Harry, welcome to you. Thank Harry, you. you're on your own now. Connor's not going to be with you to help you answer any of these questions. But the first question, Harry, is why is it that people are so reluctant to have a will? And, and so very many people who have wills never update their wills. Brian, it's an old story. No one thinks they're going to die. No one wants to think about dying. No one wants to think about the end. So it's so much easier to put it away and think, well, next year I'll get to it. And uh, just to be clear, it's not just in South Africa we have this problem. In the UK... I mean, that's supposed, I say supposed, first world country. And it's the same figure. About 60% of people die without a will as well. So it's not just South Africa. So, Harry, let, let's talk about, firstly, not having a will. You die intestate. Automatically, I would assume that assets are inherited, firstly, by spouses or the, the surviving spouse. Spouse and children. And children. And then if they, there's no one there. It goes up to parents and then to cousins and aunts. Well, we, what happens is the Interstate Succession Act kicks in. And it says if there's a spouse and children... They share equally, but the spouse gets a basic child share, which is 250,000 rand minimum. So as long as the spouse gets 250,000 rand, the spouse and children then share equally. If there's a spouse and no children, obviously the children then take everything. If there's no spouse and no children, you're correct, it goes back up to the parents. If the parents aren't around, it goes back down to the brothers and sisters. And Harry, can minors ever be beneficiaries as well, or, or even life policies? Well, they can be in the world, but of course a minor can't inherit directly from an estate. So the minute the miner's getting cash out of an estate, it ends up going to the Guardian's Fund in Pretoria. And they get looked after for the miner until they turn 18. So not a good idea to make a miner direct heir in the will. What you normally do is you create a trust. The money can pay to the trust to be looked after for the miner. Or you pay it to a Guardian to look after for the miner. That's not such a good idea because, of course, there's no guarantee what the Guardian will do with the money. So preferably you create a trust, a testamentary, in other words, in the will, or an intervivos, created while you're alive to look after the money for the miner. Now, you mentioned life policies, Brian, and my pet problem. Because so many people nominate their minor children as a beneficiary on a policy. Now, unfortunately, on a policy, a minor can inherit because they're not limited by the Interstate Succession Act or by the Administration of the Estates Act because the policy is not part of the estate. That means we can and we do pay money from a policy direct to the minor. And that's a very dangerous circumstance or set of circumstances to create because the minor suddenly gets 4 million rand in his bank account the garden controls it. But the miner probably wouldn't even have a bank account. You'll be amazed. So many of our miners do have bank accounts, and we've paid a lot of money into miners' bank accounts. But then, I mean, a miner can't conduct a transaction so on the bank So account. the money ends up in the miner's bank account, and the guardian of that miner will end up controlling the money. And that's, again, why you must have a trust. Okay, so let's just talk about, can you put a clause in the will? Let's talk mm. about that, because a lot of people say to me, what happens if one of my children are insolvent? And I now leave assets to my wife and children. Can you, at that yes. point in time, decide not to pay it to that insolvent child? Because if that insolvent child receives money, it'll just end up in the hands of creditors. Yes. 
So we often have what we call the chicken soup clause. And the clause in the will says, I leave assets to my children. If any of them are insolvent at the time of my death, they will be removed as an heir and they won't receive anything. And that protects a child to an extent, because obviously they won't get paid then, it will go to all the other heirs. Probably the better clause to do is if you're worried about a child going insolvent, rather leave it to a trust that's set up for them. And they can be a discretionary beneficiary of the trust and the money then pays and gets looked after. That chicken soup clause hasn't been tested yet in court. We'd have to see what the court would say. And then, Harry, the best, you know, I also get this problem where the husband controls the estate. They may be married in community or even with a cruel. Yeah. But the wife has no access to cash. Now the husband dies. And I get a lot of questions asked, what actually happens? Because until the executor is appointed, until the accounts are open, there's no distribution of cash. What actually happens? Yeah, I mean, that's why a life policy is so important, of course, because a life policy kicks out money straight away, or an investment policy which will kick out money straight away. I mean, the short answer there, it depends on the bank. You know, the bank might freeze the accounts, they might not. It's going to have to be a question we must actually talk to the banks about. Because obviously in law, it's one account, and if the husband has died, the, the account should be frozen. But generally, I think the banks might allow the spouse to draw some money, but we'll have to get a bank. Is there a difference if you married in community property to accrual? Yes, big difference. So... In community of property. Because by rights, the, 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 the surviving spouse actually owns, in a community of property, actually owns half the assets. Yes, but it's one estate. It's one estate, so it should, could all be frozen. Out of community with accrual, obviously the wife's account is her account, the husband's account is his account, so at least her account won't be frozen. Well, we're going to take a break. You can call us this evening on 011-483-1518. You've got a superb guest here this evening. Got a lot of knowledge. We'll give you some good answers. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to New Money. We're discussing estate planning this evening. My guest is Harry Joffe. And if you'd like to call us, 011-483-1518. You can still email me on brian at bdtv.co.za. Harry, let's this, this ask this question. What exactly, you know, I'm asked, what exactly goes into the estate? It's everything you own other than life policies. Correct. And obviously certain investment policies could go in if they don't have a beneficiary on. But I think, Brian, what we've got to start looking at now is we're in a different era now, 2018, and digital is suddenly become very big. So we had a lecture this week by an individual specializes in winding up digital estates. And he was talking about Facebook accounts, Twitter, Instagram accounts, all those things. But he was also talking about something very interesting as well. He had a client who, pay, who played what they call Clash of Clans, which is some TV game some of the, the viewers might be aware of. I'll bring, I'll bring Connor back on. He'll be able he to tell us. He might understand yeah. it. I mean, you don't even watch TV now that yeah. United are playing so badly. But, the, but this Clash of Clans... The individual had what they called a green elf, which is a certain character you get to after a certain level. That green elf was valued at $90,000. Now, I don't know how you leave a green elf in a clash of clans in your world, but he said you've got to find a way to do it because otherwise you die and your, your heirs don't get your assets, what they're entitled to. He was talking about Bitcoin accounts. So, remember, Sars put out a note just last couple of weeks about how you've got to pay tax on your Bitcoin profits. But now, if you die and you've got a Bitcoin account, how do your heirs cash that in? You need to leave them your keys. You need to leave your passwords. And that's what this guy was saying. There's a whole digital state you've got to now deal with. And you must make sure your passwords are accessible to an executor. 
Yeah, and then, and then Harry, let's just take one stage further because within a state, there are many professional practices. You get optometrists yeah. and you know, dentists. So now there's a value to that estate. But that what practice. is the value? Right, so let's take a one-man dental practice. So that dentist dies, I mean, what, is, what gets realized for that practice? A practice without a dentist is not worth anything, and he can't leave it to his family because they're not dentists. So generally what, uh, what we like to recommend is that the dentist gets together with another dentist, and they can have what we call a buy and sell arrangement. So dentist one, dentist two, dentist two dies, dentist one buys out his practice, and they even have a life insurance policy in place to facilitate that purchase. There might be a state duty consequences, but at least dentist one knows when he dies, dentist two buys him out and his family get paid money and value for the practice. Dentist two now has two practices to run. The thing is, if you don't... There's no guarantee that the, the patients are actually going to move from dentist A to no, dentist B. No, but sure. there, are other, there are other professional one-man professionals practices. Yeah, correct. But at least they both know. No one knows who's going to die first. At least they know whoever dies first gets paid something for the practice. Although, you know, the difficulty is to try and sell a dentist practice when the dentist just died. I mean, it's probably very little value, if anything, for the family. And it's not just dentists, it's physios, it's optometrists. Any one-man professional practice needs to think about continuity. And they need to think what's going to happen on their passing. Well, let's get to some of our emails. Patrick in Waverley says, does the executor have to stick to the terms of my will, even if they may not appear to be 100% fair? For example, if my child marries outside of the faith, can I exclude him or her from the will? Okay, it's a great question. So now there's, there's lots of other incidents. I mean, many years ago, there was money left to universities to only educate white children. Yes. So what is that, against public... Okay. Uh, against public policy. So anything racist or sexist will be struck out straight away by the courts. And there's a lot of precedent on that now. If it goes to court, Harry? Yes, but it will go to court generally these days because heirs know about this. But that's not to say any condition will be struck out just because it might be seen as unfair. So we had an interesting case two years ago where mom died, three children in Durban, and she left her estate one-third to each kid, but the condition was the kids had to go to varsity and get a three-year business degree. Now, two of the kids, it was quite funny, went to university, got the, two, got the degree. The third kid was a bit slow and couldn't get the degree. So, I mean, not uh, retarded or anything, not backward, just wasn't good at, uh, at going to university and at getting qualifications. So the kid couldn't get the degree. He wanted to go to court and challenge it. And we all told him he's got no chance because that's not against public policy. To say that your children need to be educated to get paid out is not contrary to public policy. Anything racist or sexist is. Now the question the viewer raised... Patrick raised about religion. Which is unknown. We've got a whole lot of court cases from the courts where they uphold these clauses, but they're all pre-1994. We don't have a post-1994 case on this exact issue. And there's an interesting debate because on the one hand the Constitution says, you know, no discrimination. On the other hand, it protects religious freedoms as well. So we have an interesting debate here when this gets to court. I mean, what you can't say is that my son has to marry another man or another woman because you can't have any sexual discrimination. So you can't impose any requirement like that. But that's not what the viewer is asking. He's saying my son has to marry into the Christian or Buddhist or whatever faith if he's going to inherit. If he marries out, I'll disinherit him. So it's an open question, a very open question. We're waiting for a court case. Oscar Victoria says, I'm the sole beneficiary of an offshore trust set up 30 years ago. The assets are a lot higher than before, but the costs are greater than the income generated. Can I wind up the trust? And if I do, what are the advantages and disadvantages? Many people have small trusts overseas. Yes. It was, it's a fad, even in South Africa. Yes. So I come across so many people who've got trusts with very little assets in it. Yeah. Never really tra transferring the assets in. So now we're talking about 
offshore fees, and we're talking about sterling. I've got, I've got an example. I mean, I've got someone who's got 265,000 left in a trust many years ago, mm. and the executors want to charge 5,000 pounds, which is their minimum fee. I'm not the executor, the trustees yes. for, for, for managing the trust. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's an option to wind up a trust, but remember there's issues. First of all, you wind up the trust, assets come back into your estate, so estate duty on those assets going forward. Number two, you wind up the trust, you're paying assets out of the trust to yourself from a foreign trust, that's going to trigger tax straight away, either income tax or capital gains tax. So that might be tempting to wind up the trust. I wouldn't do it without getting really professional tax advice, because it will be tax constant. Well, there may be advantages, but, the, uh, but, but the you've raised, you've raised some of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Louis in Cape Town says, both my wife and I were married in the second marriage by ANC with Cruel. All our assets were accumulated during this message. Marriage. My wife died last year and has left her half share in the house to her children, giving me usufruct. The, the house is far too big and the upkeep too costly. I want to sell the house and move to something smaller, but her children will not be allowed to do this. What can I do? Yeah, and that's a classic question as well, the problem with the usufruct. Because remember, the usufruct holder doesn't own the property. They've got the right to live in the property and to enjoy its benefits. The children are the owners. They're what we call the bare to medium holders. So he can't sell the property because he doesn't own it. Without the consent of the children, there's nothing he can do. Other than to try and negotiate well, with the it. children. They can sell it together, they can arrange some kind of deal, but without the children's consent, he's stuck. And that's why usufruct is not the preferred way to go. It's so inflexible and it's so difficult. Much easier to leave the property to a trust and have different class of the beneficiaries. Much more efficient to do it that way. And Michael in Jansburg says, can you waive your right to inheritance? When must you do it and are there any donation tax issues? Right, again, another good question, Brian. Uh, listeners are sharp tonight. So you can always waive a right to inheritance. You've obviously got to do it before you accept. So deceased dies, then you as an heir can either accept or repudiate. And at that stage you can repudiate and there's no tax. But don't heirs, autom they don't actually, f I've never known an heir to fill in a form saying I accept no, the inheritance. No, so, but it's the opposite works. So you can repudiate before you've got any rights. So if you don't repudiate, you obviously accept. It's called adiation. But if you don't want to accept, you can always repudiate. Harry, do you have to uh, re renounce your right at immediately or months later? I mean, at yeah, what I mean, stage? Yeah, we've a court case on that, Brian. The question is, you've got to renounce your right before they vest in you. So you've got to tell the executor up front before it starts winding up that I'm renouncing my rights. Because it's a good point the listener makes. If they vest in you and you renounce, that triggers tax consequences. But if you repudiate up front, then there's no tax consequences. So it's, it's that, when is that up front? Yeah, so before the, the asset vests in you. And we've had a few interesting cases, because the problem that people forget, let's say you're the sole heir, and you repudiate, now there's no heir, then of course uh, the will goes interstate, and then you could be the interstate heir. So you might have to repudiate a second time as the interstate heir. It might not be good enough just to repudiate the first time. Okay, let's just take Joe, Joe's on the line. Joe, good evening, go ahead with your question. Brian, good evening. I want to know, do you pay executive's fees on life cover and on disability cover, please? Well, right. Disability won't apply. Thanks disability, for that. The, the life you, should won't be there. The life should still alive, yes. So on life cover, you shouldn't pay executive's fees because remember, it should pay direct to a beneficiary, which means executive's not handling the money or dealing with it. As long as there's a beneficiary on the policy, you won't pay executive's But it, but it is noted in the estate for it reporting for purposes. Estate duty, for estate duty purposes. If, however, you don't have a beneficiary on the policy, so it pays directly into the estate, then the executor handles the money and then you would pay executor's fees. Unless, of course, you've got to deal with the executor. Well, we're going to take a break. You can still call us on 011-483-1518. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly.
Welcome back to your new man this evening. We're talking estate planning, but we're focusing on the will. My guest is Harry Joffe from Discovery. An email from Mr. Naidu in Petersburg says, does one need an independent person as a trustee? And what does independent actually mean? Okay, so very good question. There's a director from the Chief Master from last year, 2017. And he requires an independent trustee if the beneficiaries and the trustees are the same people. And then he wants a trustee that's not related to the beneficiaries, basically. Now, again, I'm not sure, and the listener makes a very good point. Cause related could be a family member. No, could no. it be a financial planner? No, just a family member. And that's exactly the point, because what we said to the chief master, what does independent mean? You could have an accountant who's a trustee, not related to the family, but he's getting paid a fee by one of the trustees. He's not going to be independent. So there is that uh, chief master directive of 2017, which the listeners can go and, uh, and get on the website. But it's still in a state of flux because it's not a very good definition of what is independent. But in short, the master will require an independent trustee. So you do have to, today, you do have to have an independent if trustee. If the trustees and beneficiaries are the same people, then they will require is that. that. Is that, r- applies to existing trusts? Only new trusts registered after that date. Okay, so, so existing trusts, you don't trust. have to go back. And Harry, the, the question on this program often is, what do you do with offshore assets? I mean, you've got your local and offshore assets regarding yes. wills. And I, I've never been 100% sure that one will, will, one will, will suffice. Yeah. And again, we had a whole lecture this last week by Gordon, my co-TV personality. He spoke to us for about 45 minutes on it, and it's still not so clear. Because he's giving us different countries, and certain countries you should have a separate will, certain you shouldn't. So, for example, you're a South African, you've got your assets in South Africa, but you've got a bank account in Switzerland. Do you need a separate will for that bank account? So Gordon was saying no, because the bank account can go according to the South African will. And he was also talking about Brussels 4 directive, where in your local will, you can make foreign assets uh, divulge or devolve under your local laws. So you can apply South African law to your foreign assets. But that gets quite complicated. You've got to have a certain clauses in the will which you need an expert to draft. But you could have, for example, a house in France. So you've got a house in France and you're living in South Africa when you die, you need a foreign will for that house in France. Because remember, you've got different French laws, you've got different cultures, different language, and you need an original will for their master as well. So Gordon was saying that as well, that if you've got a substantial asset, like a fixed property in Europe, you should have a separate will, but certain other assets you might not need a separate will. And just make sure that those wills are, you know, yes. are absolutely congruent, because you don't want, I mean, the will always says, this is my last will. And you must so have my South African estate. South African estate, my offshore estate, and maybe Correct. even refer to the, two, to, the, to the two wills. And the other thing, Brian, of course, what you're very cognizant of is foreign duties. So you've got a house in France and you die, then you're going to be a state duty in France. There could be a state duty here as well, and the double tax treaty would kick in, and you'd probably only pay duty there. And then you've got to think, of course, how do you pay those death duties? You've got to pay a foreign currency tax. And, of course, what's the answer? A discovery life policy. Of course, I've trained you well enough, right? You've trained me well enough. A discovery dollar life policy, which, of course, is an offshore dollar policy, pays out anywhere in the world, is ideal to fund these offshore problems. Any offshore taxes or liabilities, you'll kick out the foreign currency to do that. Percy in Cape Town says, what happens if you appoint a beneficiary to a life policy and you also deal with it in your will and the proceeds are left to a different person? Okay, again, a very good question. We had great questions tonight. So remember, life policy is not part of your will because it's a contract between you and the insurance company for the benefit of a third party. So if you nominate a beneficiary on that policy contract, we at the insurance company will pay that third party. The will can't override that. And there's conflicting court cases actually in law what the position is. But in practice we will pay the nominated beneficiary. Then it's up to the beneficiary and the heir in the world to have a fight. But again, the courts have said, because it's an insurance contract for the benefit of a third party, 
If the owner wants to change the beneficiary, they must do it by way of notice to the insurance company, not by way of a will. So in short, you shouldn't mention an insurance policy in your will. Kevin Importler says, my wife and I in our 90s, if we leave our assets to our children, there's estate duty payable. They're in their late 60s, early 70s. If they die and leave it to their children, one is paying estate duty twice. How can this be avoided? Can right. you skip a generation? So Does no, it make can't. sense to do that? In the Estate Duty Act, there's actually an exemption or a partial exemption, what they call for successive death. So if you die... Globally, I know in the UK and the US, they do have that. They have a time period, I think 10 yes, years. 10 years. Our law as well. So if you die and the assets are left to a party and they die within 10 years, then there's a rebate on the Estate Duty. And there's a whole formula how the Act works. But it's only for up to 10 years. Anything more than 10 years... But it's not a full rebate. Because this couple are saying that Correct. we're in our 90s, it's hard to believe your children are in your 60s and 70s, yes. and then they die, leave it to their children's 60s and 70s, and then a few years later, one of them passes on and leave it, leave yeah, it to so their children. Yeah, so what they could do, they could leave it to a trust instead of leaving it to the kids. So they leave it to a trust, they pay the state duty once when it goes into the trust, and then there'll be no further state duty after that. So they're worried about that, then they could consider... Well, let's assume they the don't trust. do that. Let's assume they do leave it to their, their elderly children. Yes. Is, there, is, it, is it prorated, or is it a full deduction? No, it's a prorated. Priorities. If the children die in 10 years, it's a priority according to how long they die after. So, so they die in one year, I think it's a 90% rebate, okay. up to 10% in year 10. So you've actually got to then, but so, you, so you could leave it to a trust? I would definitely recommend and that. It, and, uh, so, and, then, and then obviously the estate duty is paid. Yeah, I mean, I assume I'll leave it to each other so they get the 4Q deductions though. When the second dying dies, I'd rather leave it to trust than the kids, just for that reason. David Endurman says, is a living will binding on doctors and hospitals? All right, good question. So a living will, remember, it's not a will as such because you're still alive, so it's not being read. It's more of a contract or a wish. So it's a document you leave to the doctors in the hospitals, like if you, you know, get to a vegetative state, it can turn off the machines, and then it would be binding as long as it's not contrary to the law. Oh, but, will it, will, but will doctors follow that or will doctors do everything to preserve life? Well, again, remember the law is quite tricky because you can't commit suicide. Remember, there's issues like that. So as long as you are brain dead, I think the word is, then you can uh, instruct the doctors to, to turn off the machines and they should listen to that. Um, the important on that is to let your family know you've got a exactly. living will. Exactly. And a lot of people have a living will that the family doesn't know. Exactly. The same as how they want to be, how they want to be ultimately disposed of. Do they want cremated. to be cremated exactly. or, or buried. Mr. Abbott says, who should drop our will and can I stipulate what fee the executors can charge? Okay, so on the fee it's very simple. The executor can charge a maximum of 3.5% plus VAT. So it comes to around 4% with the, now the new Yeah, with the new year. But you can always charge less. So you can always say to the executor, here's my business, you can wind up my estate, but you're only charging 2%. It's and can that executor. be written into the will? That must be written into the will if the executor agrees. Okay. And you're going to point to, uh, what was the question, who should you choose? You should choose someone who's an expert in winding up his estate, either a trust company, a law firm, or anyone who specializes in that. To draft, no, he's often about drafting the will. Drafting the will, again, it's an expert. It yeah. could be a trust company, it could be an attorney, it could be anyone who specializes in that. And Harry, just one thing, if you do, if you do have a professional firm, uh, I mean it's important that you, you, that professional firm, the person who's the executor knows about it, and yes. if you want to negotiate fees, you can and write that into and the And you must world. do it obviously while you draft in the will. And normally they will, if your estate is more than 10 million rand, they'll normally negotiate. Yeah. Well I know that we've, we've concentrated this evening on the importance of the will, and have been able to answer a few of the emails that have come in since our last show. For the many emails that I have received and that I've not dealt with this evening, my apologies. If it's urgent, please contact me directly, or if not, 
we'll deal with it in a few weeks' time when we tackle estate planning again. Harry, thank you very much for joining me this thank evening. Thank you, Brian. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will be focusing on retirement planning, and if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching, and good night.